And I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. To the faint, He giveth power. Through the mountains makes a way. Findeth water in the desert. Turns the night to golden day. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. And I know, yes I know, yes I know, yes I know, Jesus' blood can make the vilest sinner clean. In temptation, He is near. Holds the powers of hell at bay. Guides you to the path of safety. Gives you grace for every day. He will keep thee while the ages roll throughout eternity. work for good to thee and I know yes I know yes I know yes I know Jesus blood can make the vilest sinner clean and I know yes I know yes I know yes I know Jesus blood can make the vilest sinner clean Let's go ahead and take our Bibles tonight. Turn over to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, Isaiah chapter 55. <clears throat> we're heading into missions and we're certainly trying to prepare and ready our hearts and our minds for that and tonight we'll basically do the same. We'll consider that again this evening. Isaiah chapter 55. We're going to begin reading in verse 1. We're just going to read through verse 3. It's good to see folks being baptized again this morning. It's always good. The Bible tells us here in the book of Isaiah chapter 55, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Incline your ear, and come unto me. Hear, and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. Well, we're glad about uh, the Lord and how he was so long-suffering with the people of God. And here in this particular situation, in this case, we have a prophet that once again is speaking on behalf of God, opening a door, giving an opportunity for the children of Israel, to, uh, the children of Judah to walk through that door. And this particular prophet is a man by the name of Isaiah. And Isaiah was of royal blood, actually. His father Amos was a younger son of Joash, king of Judah. And so... He was of royal blood, and he was a man, really, that was a very strong man, a commanding personality, from what we can tell. He uh, was a statesman, if you will, and he had tremendous influence for good in the, the, the nation. 
He married. He had two sons. He labored for 60 years. He died a martyr. And many believe he died around the age of 120. At least tradition tells us that. We don't really necessarily have a Bible verse for it, but 120 years of age. He provides us with a passage that obviously epitomizes missions. It's pretty clear as we read, especially verse 1, that it shouts missions. It cries outreach. The heartbeat of the church should be the heartbeat of God. It's not always the case, but it ought to be. The true church, its heartbeat will always be the heartbeat of God. But unfortunately, in our day and age, it seems that there's a number of churches that aren't really churches, that aren't fulfilling the purpose and the plan that God had. As we move ahead in our country and in our future, we see that a number of churches have kind of let down in this area. We've kind of dropped the ball when it comes to the real heartbeat of God. And whether we want to admit it or not, the reality is, is that he did come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord Jesus Christ came to earth for one reason, and that was to win the lost. That was to reach lost mankind. It's his purpose for coming. He has no other purpose for coming. Why would he waste his time on earth with fallen man if indeed we could find our own way there? And so we are grateful for God and for just his desire and his love. And here in our passage in Isaiah 55, we are given this wonderful passage that basically shares with us missions, outlines it pretty clearly. And tonight I just want to share three simple thoughts or three points about missions. And I think we'll take just a few minutes to do that. And uh, again, I I think verse 1 alone will suffice. Again, it is extremely um, pointed. And I think we'll find that it will be helpful tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you. We thank you, Father, for the prophet Isaiah. We thank you for his faithfulness. Lord, uh, coming from the kind of family that he did, I'm sure he could have followed after politics. He could have done something else, Father, that would have been maybe more lucrative financially, possibly even had rendered him in a position where he would have had tremendous uh, influence, not just in a spiritual manner, but also just in a very uh, practical manner for government and so forth. And yet, Lord, you called him, you spoke to his heart, he answered the call, and Lord, we find him here now, uh, sharing this great truth with the people of God. And Lord, may we understand this truth. May, Father, we realize the need for missions in our lives, for reaching out to the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, we love you. We, we need you tonight. May you take this simple passage in Isaiah and simply apply it to ourselves, help it to be driven home into our hearts. And Lord, we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. First of all, we see the cry of missions. Right off the very bat, right in the very beginning of the verse, verse 1, we see that word, ho. And again, it's a, a word that is kind of illustrated like this. Ho! There it is. That's how simple it was. Getting the attention of somebody. It's the cry of missions. The fact is today is that too many times, probably more than not, we're a little bit silent when it comes to the mission, come to missions or comes to reaching out with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would seem probably in many cases we're not nearly as boisterous, we're not nearly as loud, not nearly as bold as we ought to be. And when it comes to missions and when it comes to reaching a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are desperate for a people who will cry out on behalf of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. He begins again, Ho! Ho! Getting the attention of those that are within earshot. Ensuring that everybody can hear. So when we consider the cry of missions, first of all, we note that it's loud. It's loud. It's a cry that is heard loud and clear. And boy, in our churches, we need a cry for missions that's loud and clear today. Now again, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree with how missions is going in many cases today. I'm not real pleased with it, to be frank with you. I'm asking the Lord to give me some ideas and some things that I can do to fix it. I think it's a travesty to spend eight and $10,000 a month on a missionary that goes over to the field and then spends, if we're lucky, you know, three months at a time there and flying back and forth to the States because they have something to do every other weekend. I'm struggling with that personally. I think we're wasting a lot of money in missions. Matter of fact, and sadly enough, 
I have to look over letters and I have to make tough decisions at times about who we support. And I want to make sure if they were on our payroll, just like they're on our payroll, that they're putting out and they're producing. If they're not, then I, I remove them. Listen, the missions is needed. There are men coming off the field left and right. There aren't people staying on the field. Wives can't handle it anymore. Husbands can't deal with it anymore. The stress, the strain of culture. Man, it used to be people went to the mission field and lived there. Now we're lucky to get them there for more than a year at a time without coming back for three months. Listen, folks, I'm telling you, there needs to be a cry and it needs to be loud for missions. There needs to be some young men here that are willing to go to the foreign field. I think there needs to be some young men that will go before they're ever married, too. I really do. I think they need to go to the field before they're married, and they need to go to places where maybe it's a little more dangerous. Instead of taking a family somewhere where it's dangerous, and then we wonder why we can't pass out tracts, we can't go door-to-door there, we've got to be very careful we don't talk about the Lord too loud because we, our family would be in danger. No, let's send some of these young men that can give their lives for Christ. So the Apostle Paul did. He wasn't tied down to a wife. He wasn't married. And he said, boy, I'll tell you what, over there in the book of Corinthians, I wish you were like me. What's he saying? That you could give your all to Christ without worrying about a spouse, without worrying about children, without worrying about leaving a legacy to the family behind you. Listen, it's time that we get serious about missions. It's time we understand that there is a battle raging out there and it's going to demand some sacrifice. It's not going to be simply, you know, iPhone 6 Pluses and taking it easy on the Internet and doing some distance uh, uh, faith. And, 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 you know, I mean, it's talking about hands-on, face-to-face with the enemy stuff here. We need to get back to some downright, dirty, hand-to-hand combat. And that's true not only on foreign fields, that's true here. I mean, we've got an enemy that's extremely... uh, vindictive and and that truly hates us with all his heart. And if we honestly believe that we're going to be able to reach our world and reach our communities without some radical Christianity, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. If we think that we can keep our mouths shut and simply send emails and circulate some, you know, Facebook uh, posts here and there and, and things like, it's not going to happen that way. We need to be loud about this thing. Listen, Jesus Christ died on Calvary. Jesus Christ publicly uh, was laid before us naked. He was willing to be humbled. He was willing to be humiliated. He was willing to be shamed before all of humanity so that he could reach mankind. What price are we willing to pay? I'm talking to myself here. Loud. Loving, though. Loving. A cry that's prompted by love and compassion. Over the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, you know the verse by heart. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. There was a compassion there. There was a love there. Jesus Christ came because he loved. Jesus Christ went because he loved. In the book of Isaiah, we see in chapter, uh, chapter 6, we see this call that takes place for Isaiah, but in reality, it's a call of the Trinity. Who's going to go for us? Who's going to go? And boy, I believe today that Jesus Christ willingly stepped up and said, listen, I'll go. I'll be the second person of the Trinity. I'm going. I'm, I'm heading down. I'm going to meet man where man is. And boy, that's the kind of love and compassion that we need today. It's just not good enough. It's just not good enough to talk about it. We've got to do something about it. This cry of missions is loud, yes. It's loving, but it's legitimate. I mean, this cry that that goes out with missions, when we cry out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it is a legitimate offer for men and women, boys and girls, to come to Jesus Christ and to be free from their sin, to embrace the reality of heaven, to know what it means to be free of guilt and shame. How many people do you know that are bound by shame, bound by guilt today? They literally live just smothered by it, crushed by it. Listen, there is not a child of God who has to allow the shame or the, the, the humiliation of the past to crush them any longer. They are free of that. God has bore that weight. God took that burden. But this cry that we make for the Lord Jesus Christ and with the gospel of Jesus Christ is a genuine offer. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning 
His promises, some men count slackness, but as long-suffering to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm going to step back a second. I want to assure you that our missionaries are working. I just want to tell you that. And if they're not, we get rid of them. I just wanted you to know that. We don't have lazy missionaries around here. Your money's being well spent. And if I ever find out it's not, I will remove their, and I've done it already, to have some in the past. And I've just had to say, call them and say, hey, sorry, but we're done. I, I just, I believe, I treat it like it's mine. I wouldn't want my money going for that. But we have good missionaries here. From what I can tell, unless they pulled the wool over my eyes too, we got some good ones around here. We need to keep praying for them and trusting God that they'll meet, their need, meet the need in their life. So we see the cry. It's loud. It's loving. It's legitimate. Aren't you glad that when the Lord offered you salvation, he could really provide it? And you know what? That We go with that message. You know, we take our New Testaments with us door to door. We take our New Testaments to work. We, 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 we take our Bibles maybe to work or to school. And the message that is wrapped and bound in this book is a legitimate message. Man, when we offer salvation to people, they can get it. They can truly receive it. It's not a false offer. Man, I'll tell you what, you watch television or you have some guy or gal come to your door selling you something and they're making all these claims and all these offers and next thing you know, when it's all said and done, you sign on the dotted line and when it's in the end of it all, they point to some small print in the bottom that says, oh, by the way, it's not everything that we told you or there's more to it than what we said. It's not everything it was cracked up to be. And you think, wait, you just deceived me. And that's exactly what Satan wants to do. But the fact is, is that Jesus isn't about deceiving anyone. He wants it to be as plain and clear as possible. And let me tell you, salvation is crystal clear. There's nothing tough about it, nothing difficult. Any church or anybody that makes it complicated is not, is not preaching and teaching the Word of God. Because salvation is not complicated. You know, we like to try to make it extremely complicated, it seems, at times. But it's not complicated. The cry of missions. But not only in the passage do we see the cry of missions... We see the call of missions. Notice who uh, the, we're called to in missions. In the particular passage that we're reading here, it says, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye by, and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. You'll notice here in the passage that there are those that are thirsty. They're parched. Well, there are people out in the world that are still are thirsty. You know, I get a little fed up with this mentality and this ideology and, and that, that nobody wants to hear the truth anymore. That's not true. There are people dying of spiritual thirst out there in the world today. They're, they're dying for it. They want to hear the gospel. They want to hear hope, something with hope. They truly do want the message. You know, the fact is, is that someone says, well, it's not like it used to be. Well, it may not be like it used to be, but let me tell you, it's probably better than it was. You say, what do you mean? Well, just going back to Jesus' day, going back to the church at Corinth, go and take a trip back there to Asia Minor where they were murdering and persecuting believers. I tell you what, it may not be like it used to be, but it, it's not like it was. Well, it ain't like the 60s and 70s. Man, I'm going to tell you something. If we could win people like they did in the 60s and 70s, this church would have been in other buildings a long time ago, friend. I mean, that's just the reality of it. I mean, I'm not stupid to that. I understand that. But let me tell you something. We can't use things like that as an excuse for not doing the work of God. And that's what's taking place today. We've just basically said, you know what? Door knocking doesn't work. Witnessing doesn't work like it used to work. It's just not working the way it did. So therefore, instead of continuing to bang our head against the wall, let's just forget it. You know, coming to church on Sunday night, Wednesday nights, that used to be important. But nowadays, with all the media and with all the activities and with all the extracurricular things that are going on in the lives of people and families, people just aren't really interested in Sunday night and Wednesday night church. So let's go ahead and just do away with it. It's just a waste of money. Keeping the doors open, the lights on, the heat and the air running. Ah, it's not even, use it's not even worth it anymore. Let me tell you, it's worth it because there are still some people that are thirsty. There are people that are parched out there. In Revelation 21, 6, the Bible says, And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. 
Over in Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. God never said that we have to determine who and what is ready for the gospel. We simply need to give the invitation and allow those that are thirsty to come drink. And that's exactly what missions is about. We have missionaries on the field today that, man, I mean, they're frustrated to tears because they're not seeing the results they'd like to see. They're out there with the gospel. They're providing it very clearly, very plainly, and they're providing it often, and yet they're not seeing maybe the results they want. But the truth is we could say the same thing here, couldn't we? We're out there with the gospel at times, but maybe not as much as we should, but we are out there, and we're not seeing the results we'd like to see. But we are not responsible for the result. We are only responsible to fulfill the duty and the calling of God. As we often say around here, it's not our job to win them, it's our job to warn them. And the call of missions is to the parched, to the thirsty. But notice also, and this is kind of interesting, and it seems to bear truth in our churches across America, at least Baptists it seems. It says here, and he that hath no money, come ye by and eat. Not only the parched, but the penniless. I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how much money someone has, how much or how little. The gospel is being offered to everyone. You know, and, and, and again, we, we go into some areas, and, and honestly, we, we knock on doors and we, we try to reach people and you know, and, and I'll, I'll say things like this. I'll, sometimes I'll say, listen, we need to knock some doors in some other areas. here. Oh, we may be able to see some folks saved over here, but we also need to knock some doors in this area. You say, well, why would you? Well, everyone deserves it, whether there's money or whether there's no money. Whether there's, there's fruit or whether there's no fruit. The fact is, is that we're responsible for an area, and somebody's got to get the gospel to them. So I don't like to go to rich areas and knock doors because those people, they don't seem to be as, as, as receptive of the gospel as those that are maybe in really poor areas. And I'd probably say, well, I agree with you. As a whole, that's true. But then again, don't they need to hear? And by the way, when they get saved, they actually show up in their own BMW and they actually can begin to contribute to the offerings. That's not kind of nice every once in a while too. Someone says, is that why you knock on their door? Does it sound like that's why I knock on their door? We've been talking for how long about what? Money or the gospel? Man, if this was about money, I'd have left this church a long time ago, folks. I mean, honestly, I'm not trying to be mean or nasty. We're, we're not a very big giving church around here. I mean, our budget's $440,000, and we have over 400 people show up on services. Listen, you check churches across the country that run over 400, and look at their offerings, and you'll find they give quite a bit more than we do. This isn't about money. And yet you look at a church like ours and you ask yourself, how have we gotten where we have? Maybe because we have trusted God. Maybe because we have taken the gospel out places where people don't have a whole lot. Maybe we're not so picky and choosy about where we take it. We just simply believe the word of God that if we'll go, he'll be with us and he'll meet our needs. This isn't about money. Never has been. And if it becomes about money, then we got a problem. It's about the parched. It's about the penniless. It's about the gospel being taken to all. David's on the run. Look, if you will, in 1 Samuel chapter 22. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. I found this early on in the ministry and it encouraged me. Because I thought it was just me. 1 Samuel chapter 22. Some of you that have been in the ministry, working in the ministry for some time now, you've been involved in the buses, you've been involved in the Sunday schools, you've been involved in the soul winning and so forth. You, you're going you're gonna to identify with this passage. You're going to go, wow, I thought it was just me. I thought it was just our church. Uh-uh. No, 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 no. No, no, no. It's David. He had the same issues. But look what God did with David and look what he did with that nation. God can do with little what much more than what the world can do with much. Notice what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning in verse 1 and 2. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Abdullam. 
he's being hunted down. He's on the run. The chips are down. Life's not easy for him. He's been faithful to a king. He's been faithful to Saul. He's not in any way tried to jeopardize his kingdom, tried to usurp his authority. He's just been yielded, surrendered. He's been a servant to this man. And yet this man cannot appreciate David in his spirit. He looks at him as a threat. He looks at him as an enemy. And so David, therefore, departs thence, escapes to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Praise the Lord for a family that won't abandon you when times get tough. That's good right there, isn't it? But now, notice. <laughs> and everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. <laughs> that is a ministry, baby. That right there is the ministry, friend. You say, I'm a little bit fed up. Why can't we get some doctors and lawyers in here? I don't know. Maybe because we haven't won them yet. But look at what God says he, you can get guaranteed you're going to get in the church. <laughs> it's just guaranteed, right? Some of you aren't laughing. <clears throat> you haven't been in the ministry long enough to appreciate what I just said then, have you? What the Word of God's teaching. Because anybody that's been in it any time at all goes, I know exactly what it's talking about. Hey, listen, but all of a sudden, man, look at what transpired. Look at what took place with David and his mighty men. I mean, these men, ultimately, that were, that, as the Bible says, these men that were in debt, these men that were in distress, and those that were discontented. And then they gathered themselves to him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. That 400 turned into a nation, in a sense. They led the nation before it was over with. Then somehow, some way, he had them on the fast track to success. They found leadership, they followed it, and they found themselves out of debt. They found themselves no longer in distress. They found themselves content because they followed the leader. So when we go with the gospel, there's a call to missions, and it is to the parched, and it is to the penniless. It's a reality of life. But that doesn't mean we cease to give it. It doesn't mean we stop sharing it. No, we go to each and every person. You do not know who the next Rockefeller will be. <laughs> I used to pray and say, Lord, I want you to help me to win somebody that owns a dealership so they can give me free Cadillacs <laughs> or free cars. I used to hear about these guys like, uh, well, you know, some of these preachers tell these stories. And then as a young preacher, I thought, man, that's what I want to do. You know, I, I thought, man, I want to win somebody that's like going, Lord, that'd be awesome. You let me win a, that, that guy to the Lord and... And all of a sudden, he's like, preacher, we got a new Pontiac. I still remember the guy up there in Pontiac, Michigan. Uh, brother, um, that's where I got that doctor at. What's uh, Midwestern, yeah. Uh, over in Midwest, it was Dr. Malone. And I can still hear him, I own that missionary. You know, he's talking all this little stuff. I won this guy to the Lord, and then he said he gave me a free Pontiac. And I'm like, man, I want to win somebody like that. I want to be like Dr. Malone. And then I hear about preaching, I think, man, there's this wonderful, wonderful, uh, you know, exclusive, um, um, what's that golf club out there in Hartville? You've got to be a member, I guess. Congress Lake or whatever, yeah, out that way or whatever. Anyway, so anyway, I thought, man, if I could only win the owner of that and they'd give me a free membership. i go golfing every time I wanted, any time I wanted, on one of the best courses probably around. I thought, wouldn't that be awesome? Don't tell me you haven't thought about stuff like that. Come on now. I remember a friend of mine, I was singing in a group traveling, and this particular guy was a bass, and, and he, he, he got involved with some things uh, financially, did a really good job. He was extremely good salesman. But he, as a young man, ran into a lady one time. She was on the side of the road, and, and uh, she was broke down, so he helped her. And he helped change her tire, and he was very kind to her. And she, she was very, very uh, old at that point in her life. She was really not many years probably left in her life. And... Um, she, he helped her out, and she looked at him, and she said, Son, she goes, uh, take a look over all that right there. You see all that? He said, Yeah. She said, I own it all. And she said to him, You know, I've never had anybody help me like this. No one's ever been this kind to me. Over the years, people have just ceased to be as kind as they used to be. They're not as neighborly. She said, Honestly, 
I'm not going to be around much longer. I'll give it to you. He didn't accept it. He thought she was out of her mind. Later he found she did own it all. Can you imagine running along somebody like that, getting to lead them to the Lord, and next thing you know they're in the will, you're, you know, you're, here you are. I, and I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying, but here you are sitting one day, and you get a call, hey, you need to be here for this will. You're like, what are you talking about? I don't even know her. I don't even know her. And next thing you know, they go, we're just giving you about 175 acres. Do you know where the acreage was, by the way, that she owned? If you go down the end of um, Route 224, and you run into all those truck stops down there, or 71, and uh, 224 meet, that's the property she offered him. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of money probably, where it looked a lot of money at that day. Now listen, all I'm saying is, we'd all love that. That'd be great. I'd like that. But it don't happen all the time. Then I've never happened to me yet. But does that mean I don't give the gospel? Does that mean we don't go? Hey, listen, the, the, the truth is, is that we got the cry of missions. Man, it is a loud cry. It's a loving cry. It's a legitimate cry. And the call of missions is to the, the parched. It's to the penniless. And we can't expect anything in return. We're doing this on behalf of Christ. We do this for the Lord. And if we have any earthly benefit as a result of it, then that's just God's blessing on our life. That's something He wants for us. That's okay. Let me tell you something. In eternity, it will all be worth it. Let me come to the last part. The cost of missions. The cost. So we we look at the book of Isaiah again. We, We see here that it says... Oh, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. <clears throat> the cost of missions. To the receiver, it's free, isn't it? To the one who's, ex- who's hearing the gospel and receiving Jesus Christ, it's free. There's no charge. It costs nothing. It's free to that person, without price, it says. But you know what? There's a giver, isn't there? And we know who the real giver is. It's the Lord Jesus Christ, who 2,000 years ago laid down his life, shed his precious blood, took a beating, was battered, and totally and completely disfigured as a result of his sacrifice for you and I. There he dies on the cross. He's buried and he rises again the third day. Jesus Christ did all that for us. He paid the price. We sing that little song. I pay, I owe a debt. Let's see. Um, he paid a debt. He did not owe. I owed a debt. I could not pay. I needed someone to wash my sin away. Hey, listen, Jesus Christ paid that debt. It was free to me. I didn't pay anything when he, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I didn't have to whip out my wallet. I didn't have to promise to live my life a certain way every day of my life. Listen, it was unconditional love and it was grace that saved me. Listen, I want to live a certain way and I ought to have a desire to live a certain way if Jesus Christ lives in me. But it wasn't a condition of my salvation. Are you going to promise to live your life for me? Are you going to promise to not sin? Are you going to promise not to do this and not do that? I never had to answer that question. I simply had to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I simply had to receive Him into my life, understanding that He was God. He was Lord Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, I understood that there's an element of responsibility when I receive something. But the fact was is that it wasn't my willingness to do that made me saved. It was everything He'd already done. And that's true with everyone we present the gospel to. We make it so complicated. We make it so difficult sometimes. But if salvation was hard, I would have never gotten it. If it had so many demands behind it and so many requirements, I would have never qualified. And neither would you. But thank God it's simple salvation. And to the receiver, it is free. Costs nothing. But to the giver, it costs greatly. It costs him everything. And you know, for you and I today now, that we're part of the family, now that we're involved in this process, now that we're called to take the gospel, it costs something. It just costs. That's all there is to it. It always costs something to give. It's amazing today in our world how many of us want something for nothing. 
oh, I, I, I'm about fed up with Christians who want to talk about people on welfare and how they're such losers and how they want everything handed to them on a silver platter and they don't want to have to pay for nothing. They don't want to have to work for nothing. They just want to get given to them. When all along we got believers sitting in our pews that don't want to pay one penny for a good family. They don't want to have to give one ounce of energy. They don't want to change one thing about their life. They just want their marriage to be perfect. And they just want their children to be submissive. They just want everything to fall into place. We don't want to pay the price. We're welfare Christians. We want everything handed to us, free, charged. They tell you, outside of your salvation, you're going to pay for everything you get in life. It costs something to have the kind of Christian life that many of us want. It requires some effort. It requires some energy. It requires some sacrifice. You sit in front of me and talk about how your marriages are falling apart and people talk about their children going off this way, going off that way and problems in their finances and issues with their relationships and everything else. And then you think, well, here's what the Bible says and you don't hear anything more. People don't want to pay the price. They don't want to truly obey God. They don't really want to change their life. They just want their circumstances to change. To rescue me from this misery. That's all I want. I don't want to have to change. I don't want to have to watch something different on TV. I don't want to have to listen to different kind of music. I don't want to have to go different places. I don't want to have to get rid of certain kinds of friends. I don't want to have to make the kind of adjustments that God demands of me in order to have a successful life, a successful family, a successful ministry. I just want it given to me. But that's not how it works. It costs something. I want my kids to love Jesus Christ. Well, it won't happen if you're not in church. Are you kidding me? I want them to love the ministry. It won't happen unless you love the ministry, and it's evident in your life by the way you live your life, the way you act, the way you talk, the way you think, and the what you do. I want them to... I want them to be involved. I don't want them out running around with these kind of kids and doing this kind of stuff. I know. Well, then what are you doing yourself to ensure that they see that it's worth living for God? That it trumps the world. It costs something. And missions cost something. They got a thermometer over there. And boy, I tell you what, it, it looks nice, it's pretty, and it certainly is very visibly sound, it's structurally sturdy, and man, it's a great thing, but that, that, that thermometer's not going to rise unless there is a sacrifice made. And last year, some people made some sacrifices to get that thermometer to reach to the top. Some people made some real, real sacrifices to ensure that the gospel got out to a world that would receive it freely. And it costs something. It costs something to get the gospel out on Saturdays. It costs to get it out on Tuesday nights. It costs something. And if we want it free, well, we want our church to grow, preacher. We really want God to bless our ministry. We want God to get us in that building. We want God to do this and we want God to do that. Yeah, I have a lot of things I'd like to happen if it didn't cost me nothing. Man, I'd like to have a house on, 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 on the ocean. I, I really do. I wish I owned a house on the ocean and I could rent it out every single week when I'm not there and it would pay for itself and I could eventually be rich and not even have to work. I want that. But it would cost me something. It costs something. Everything costs time. Everything costs money. Everything costs effort. You say, no, it doesn't cost money. It may be time and effort. Oh, let me tell you, if you're working, giving your time and your effort over here, then you can't be working and making money. So everything costs us money. Everything does. It always costs something. And it takes money to reach the lost. It costs money to send missionaries to the field with the precious, precious message of salvation. Look at Romans chapter 10 as we close. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. In our passage today, we see some things. Ho! Everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye buy and eat. Yea, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. We see the cry of missions. We note the call of missions. 
as we conclude, we're noting the cost of missions. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Those are all great questions, aren't they? You say those are simple questions. Those answers are easy. Yeah, the answers are easy. But the fulfillment of them is not easy. It costs something to fulfill that passage right there. You say, well, how, how then shall they call on him who they have not believed? They can't. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? They won't. And how shall they hear without a preacher? Never. Okay, you're right. How shall they preach except they be sent? Send them. That's a good idea. But we don't send them unless we've got a little bit of this. Do you realize there are... How many unreached people there are yet in the world? I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I read a statistic that there's over 2.2 billion that have been unreached yet that are still unreached. I mean, can you imagine that? Now, again, there's over 7 billion people in the world. But can you imagine that? Over 94% of missionaries go to the reached or those that have already been reached with the gospel. 6% go to the unreached. Why do you think that is? Can anybody, I mean, don't answer, but can anybody figure why that would be maybe? Could it be that it's much more comfortable when we go to places that have been reached because the economy's a little better, it's not nearly as difficult, they've actually got streets and roads and electricity and running water? Could that be the reason why only 6% go to the unreached and 94% go to the reached? You, listen, you know the trend in missions is in America? To be a helps ministry. Everybody wants to help everybody that's working. The problem is nobody's working. It'd be nice if somebody just actually went out and started a church somewhere and said, I'm just going to be here. I'm going to work. But everybody, it seems to me anymore, I've had missionaries, I've had to drop some missionaries in the back because they've changed their field. They go from saying, I'm going to be a church planner to I'm going to help all the churches that are already planted that are struggling. Why don't you get out there and just do a church? Why don't you just start something? Why don't you prove to everybody it can still be done? Everybody wants to help everybody. And that's how it is in Christianity, by the way. We like that idea of being helped, helping everybody. Because it's fun. I get to go to you for a while. Hey, hey you have a good time, brother? Hey, man, bless you, man. Get to go to you then, say, yeah, I was talking to Brother So-and-so over there. You know, they've been struggling, but I was over there giving a hand. It's awesome, man. I can preach for you too. I can help you out. You want me to go door knocking with you? And I run over to this guy and I do the same thing. Wait a second. Why don't I just go somewhere and do something? This guy's still in the same position he was when I walk out the door. Because he, he, the real problem usually with this guy isn't that he needed me to help him win souls. It's that he himself has no real drive to get it done. If that man can't win souls on his own, then it won't matter how many times I walk in there and try to win him for him. That man better have a desire on his own. He said, how many people are going to start Community Baptist Temple with you? I said, well, let's see, let's see. one, two, three, four, five, five. Five, oh, oh I see. You, a youth director and a, uh, a, a you know, ministry leader, blah, 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 blah. I said, no, me, my wife, and my three kids. What are you talking about? Listen, if you're blessed enough to leave Community Baptist Temple and we're able to send a few families with you, you ought to thank God in heaven that you have a church that loves you enough and believes in you enough to send other people that believe in you to go with you and help you with a ministry and start off with a kind of a, a little additional edge. But the fact is, if that's the only thing you're waiting on, oh, oh I, I can't start church unless I get a paycheck already, and I can't start church unless i am already got a building already paid for. I can't start church unless I've already got some soul winners going with me and Sunday school teachers so we can have a full-blown program when we first get out there on the field. Then, friend, you're in the wrong business. 
You ought to just be willing to go out there on your own and do something for God. And if God blesses you enough to send somebody with you, praise God for that. Otherwise, you get out there and you do the work of God. And you know what? That's the problem today. What about you? What about you? Who are you waiting on before you get plugged into soul winning? Who are you waiting on before you get plugged into the Sunday school? Who are you waiting on before you get plugged in to the work of God? Well, I'm waiting on until this to happen. And I'm waiting for this person. And, I'm, and, you know, and I won't do it unless so-and-so does it. And I, I, what do you mean? Where, what about you? It costs something. You're going to have to pay the price. We need some go-getters today. We need these young men that are willing to put their lives into the hands of God and say, I'll go anywhere, do anything, and I don't care what the cost is, I'll do it. I'm not convinced you're willing to pay the price yet, young men. You're going to have to prove that to me. It's easy to say I'll do that. It's another thing to do it. I'm not trying to be negative or critical. I'm just saying, don't expect these people in this church to support you till you've proven you're worthy of support. I'd like to see every four of you, all four of you, right here in the front row, just you four even, just you four. I'd like to see every one of you grow up in the next years, make it a point to memorize and learn the Word of God, and then say, man, I've been praying and weeping and fasting, and God's given me some direction. I wonder where you stand on that, Pastor. And I can honestly say with you, hey, I have no doubt God's been speaking to your heart because I see evidence of it in your life every day. And furthermore, I think if we go to the people right now and ask if we ought to support you going out of this church, I think every one of them will go, amen. Because they'll all see evidence of it in your lives. And I appreciate you on the front row where you belong. I appreciate you being willing to pay the price and say, I'm going to be in God's house Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. I'm going to be out soul winning. I'm going to be doing the work of God, and I see you guys out all the time. I just want you to know, you keep it up. That's what it takes. Men that don't have to be told what to do, don't have to be kicked in the behind to get going, that are willing to do it without being persuaded all the time. Motivated. Encouraged. David encouraged himself in the Lord. I'm getting off beat, I know. A little bit of pent-up frustration. I want churches to start out of Community Baptist Temple because that's what God wants. I'm confident that you want the same thing. Where's that going to happen? Who's going to do it? Who's going to be willing to pay a price like that? Can you imagine giving up a $35,000 a year job to make nothing? And to go work at a McDonald's down the street while you're passing out tracks every night of your life until God blesses your ministry and enables you to get what you really, what he really wants for you. See, that, that's what we're talking about. I mean, not everybody in here has got a lot of skills. If we had a lot of skills, it would be a little lot different around here. And say, these guys don't own anything. You know the Bible, that doesn't, that doesn't earn you a burger. You get to go work at some piddly job making eight or ten bucks an hour if you're lucky. And you get to do the ministry. You get to work full-time. And you get to do the ministry full-time. Let me tell you something. It's worth it. One day you can stand behind a pulpit like this and preach to a wonderful group of people like this because you were willing to pay the price. But if you aren't willing to pay the price, don't expect God to do anything in your life. People say, that's not how it is today. Well, it ought to be that way. Somebody said the other day, it was wonderful, Mrs. Beachy, one of her kids said, said, uh, in our day, when we were younger, our mama told us, you will not ever embarrass your father. We'll be proud to call you his children. And then she made a statement right there on the spot. She said, that was then, and it's different now. I almost interrupted her, but I thought, this is a, <laughs> I'm not going to get into some preaching time. I'm not going to roll a grenade of preach under a chair there. But uh, I wanted to say, no, it ought to be the way it was back then. Children still ought to be concerned about the name of their family and representing daddy in an honorable way and representing mom in an honorable way. Kids shouldn't be allowed just to do and act and be as they choose. But we've gotten this idea today that it's not like it used to be. We have to change with it. Last I checked, God still calls a man. He calls a woman. He calls a believer to take the gospel to the world. Yeah, he gives us a church so that we can do it together. We can serve side by side and be encouraged one by another. 
And that's why it's so important that you show up and that you give your best. Because somebody beside you may or may not yield to the calling and pay the price without seeing someone else paying it first. Let's be willing to pay the price in missions. Let's ask God what is he going to have us do financially. And even more important than that, what's God going to have me do practically speaking for missions? Brother Brad, stand up. Brother Brad could give $5,000 to missions this year. That'd be be good. That's, That's not a bad number. We've got people in our church that do that all the time. If it wasn't for those people, we'd, we'd never even come close to what we reached. The top 10% gave over half of that number last year. Top 10, no, 10 givers. The top 10 givers gave half of that money that's on that board. 10 people did. Now, that's a, that's a decent amount. So we got 5,000. But if Brad went out and won 10 people to Christ, think about it, and he discipled them, and they're still in church five years from now. Those ten people will give way more to missions than what he can give himself. See, missions isn't about what we can financially do. When it's all said and done, missions is really about what we do with the call of God on our life to reach the lost with the gospel. If every one of us would reach somebody that number would go off the, off the top of the charts before, before long. But when the same people are trying to just give more and give more and give more of their finances, or then, then that's just, it'll run you in the ground. It'll kill you. We need to be doing the first work, and that's taking that gospel to those that are lost, to your family, your friends, your loved ones, to the guy down the street, to the gal that's stuck in a home that's discouraged and then one day they're sitting in this pews and they're giving to the work of God worldwide missions that's how missions will really grow and that's how God intended it to grow by us reaching our world right around us and then them helping us reach the world thanks friend that's how it's supposed to work and so I want to encourage you to start there Start with winning your neighbor. Start with winning your friend. I I was encouraged today. Julie had somebody ride a bus today on her bus route and had the privilege and opportunity to talk to her. When I was talking to her this afternoon, I thought, man, maybe I ought to talk to her about the gospel. And something inside said, no, let Julie do that. And I came in today, Julie goes, hey, I got to lead that lady to the Lord today. Now listen to me. It would have been easy just to send her back home on the bus. But she was able to sit down and take a few moments and talk to her about Jesus Christ. That's what missions is really about, right there. That's missions. And Lord willing, that lady and her child will be in church now. And she said she wants to start coming. I pray that she does. Can you imagine, in a couple years... That thermometer is going to go up just a little bit more because somebody did missions where they lived. Father, we come.